Technology is changing finance in developing countries. In the past year, there has been a dramatic transformation in the way customers pay this village vendor in North India. Instead of cash, they use a simple system that involves scanning a code on a smartphone to make an online payment. The pandemic turbocharged it. With the staggering 650 million internet users, India has been one of the biggest winners of digitization and by some degree as internet access and affordable smartphones reach lower income groups in India, small stalls and shops are switching to digital payments. But instead of credit or debit cards, they use India's unified payment interface that is cheaper, easier and faster. Just a decade ago, India's millions of small business owners used only cash to transact. Now, they use phones. Our digital payment fintech ki duniya mein hamara staan Today, 40% of the real-time digital transactions made in the world take place in India. This has been nothing short of a financial revolution as mobile payments powered by a technology called the UPI have more than doubled to a staggering 1 trillion dollars in 2021 from the year before. You know, we built Google Pay in India based on uh, the UPI stack. and now we are bringing that to other countries around the world similar accounts of financial transformations across the globe have taken decades just launched whatsapp payments in india last month um so you can send money to your friends and family that was possible because of the upi system that has been built in india unified payments interface it makes it easy for anyone to instantly accept payments across different apps and india is the first country in the world to do anything like this so how did india's cash heavy economy manage to turn in the matter of years to a more inclusive digital economy from the bottom up if you'd known how important the technology economy was 20 years ago would you have done things differently the internet cell phones the cloud and data things have changed we're here to talk about it. Hi, I'm Jed. Hi, I'm Shikhar. Welcome to Things Have Changed, your new economics and technology podcast. So today it's going to be something super close to my heart. It's something my girlfriend told I did not have uh, over the last few days, <laughs> uh, a heart. Um uh, Yeah we we tend to sidetrack really easily on things of change and that just kind of gave me like PTSD from my conversation last night but coming back to our main topic today is India close to my heart because yes I was born there and I lived there for 22 years and lived there for a month just last year in November and uh, was so amazed by all the crazy things happening over there crazy good just the rampant change um that has happened in that in my home country right it's kind of wild because 2016 i moved to the us to new york city to do my masters and back then india for a large part even while i was growing up was a very very cash heavy economy very cash heavy economy um and we were just reading the stats and it none of it surprised me at least of india back then where just one out of three people have ba- had bank accounts honestly no one really 
like used to trust the banks and it's interesting just hearing my mom talk and she's like yeah what's the point of putting money in the bank when it's just giving you 4 4 to 5% interest rate <laughs> cash is king jp morgan is giving me 0.01% and i'm just taking <laughs> it uh so what a huge difference uh but it's it's so interesting because you know back then people's bank accounts was basically putting cash under their mattress it was a friction heavy economy and we're just talking 2016 that is just 8 years ago right so um just a large share of the population had no bank accounts you know card payments weren't really a thing largely cash um and um just because of the number of people that live in india that kind of excluded yeah. so many families from any sort of banking any sort of lending any sort of a uh, credit and if you watch any old indian movies bollywood movies usually the the villain usually the villain is like a loan shark he's some rich dude in the village <laughs> lending monies yeah yeah lending money to uh, to the farmers Ooh. and then ripping them off i can name like six movies back in the day that just had those people as the villains right um and i don't know if it was similar in philippines developing countries low income households have no access to credit so yeah. it's the only way they can go and get no, it's, um loans and stuff yeah i know totally agree and um i was going to say as you were having that little monologue about like from back then to 2016 right i was going to ask like why are people cash heavy you know why are people in india so cash heavy and <clears throat> i'll give you an idea of why the philippines is so cash heavy one people don't trust banks right there's a bunch of people who are like yeah, bro i'll yeah, stiff yeah. my money in my mattress because i don't trust the bank right that's one another one is that when you go to a bank it's so hard to you know get a bank account you got to give so much information you got to have an employer you got to have all this stuff you know it's it's like a lot of requirements to get to a bank so people don't ever get to a bank until today bro i'll i'll just tell you something until today cash is king in the philippines so that transformation that it happened yeah, for you it yeah. didn't happen the same for me even growing up i didn't have a bank account i i kind of just you know assumed cash was everything till i went to the us i didn't understand the the value of credit so anyway i totally understand like there being a cash heavy economy because of you know those reasons and that's still what's keeping the philippines a really cash heavy place i'm about to go in a month to the philippines and i'm already prepping for how much cash should i bring and all that stuff because i know i need it there i think with regards to india i, I there wasn't there's there hasn't been an alternative right um you know for you to have credit cards you need to have identity you need to have um credit access things like that and you know that just does not exist yeah. in a country that 80 years ago was controlled by the british and has gone from poverty to the, to a developing nation to now one of the largest economies out there right with what 600 650 million internet users right so that change has been so drastic that it's like you know people just did not have another option until technology kind of came into the fore um it's interesting dude uh, with the bank right with not being able to trust banks i remember growing up um people did not want to keep their gold because you know india because cash was so heavy the only way they could think of assets was real estate and gold right uh those were the assets mm, 
yeah. stock market, yeah. Uh, even now, less than 1% of the entire country is in the stock market. It's, it's wild. Think about the penetration of the stock market in the US. Everyone is in it. Everyone is in the stock market, right? Um, in India, it's just not like that. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of participation in the stock market. It's gaining to be one of the larger stock markets in the world. Um, as well. So it's kind of crazy, you know, three to 5% of um, uh, stock market capitalization from around the world uh, is from India. So it's kind of, it, it's crazy. Yeah. It's a, it's getting up there as a market share, though India holds what, more than 10% of the world population? <laughs> it's just a, just a numbers game. Jesus. Yeah. The reason why I brought that up is because the general mistrust, right, with banks, because of, you know, I mentioned gold being one of the ways people uh, owned assets, right? Uh, there was a general fear of of keeping the gold in the banks because the banks used to actually dilute the gold. So the banks Jesus, used to take what? the jewelry and the gold okay. and run it through solutions that would dilute the gold Bruh. and use that. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> insane, dude. The fraud and stuff is insane. So this is an open secret. Um, and people just do not yeah. trust the banks. They would rather put their cash and gold and jewelry under the mattress. Like, so, you know, going back, seeing the lack of friction in these payments, UPI system uh, has just unlocked this access to finance. 1.4 billion people, uh, how do I pay if I don't have cash? Well, if you have UPI, you can you scan a QR code at even the smallest vendor shop, like he's he's cutting coconuts there for you to drink coconut water, and he's like, okay, scan this. We're in the middle of nowhere in Kerala. We've driven two hundred miles from uh, Bangalore city to get there, um, and this guy's taking UPI. So you know the the level of access is unprecedented. It's crazy. Yeah, just within a couple of years, though. Um, I think this road to to the cashless economy from an Indian perspective was such honestly a surprising and a low key story, dude. I got to tell you around the globe. I started seeing it on like the economist sometimes, but I was like, they, they downplay that shit. Cause I did my research recently, right. For this episode, the coverage on this is in every article, but it's in like one, you know, small thing that says, Oh, by the way, digital payments in India. Yeah. They're doing something with the CPI. It's skyrocketing. When you research blah, blah, blah. it, it's like, yeah, yeah. bro, it's what? Unbelievable. <laughs> It's the scale is so crazy. I, I was literally looking through yeah. my Bloomberg's WSJ, um, and you were looking yeah. through uh, Economist. So I, things the have changed. We yeah. obviously are not very very well to do. So we like to sh- uh, share subscriptions, <laughs> and all my subscriptions yeah. are owned by family members. So uh, yeah, hopefully they're not listening to this. But just <laughs> one article in WSJ over the last seven years, two articles. Like what? Everyone talks about blockchain and crypto <laughs> and all that. This is the real yeah. access to finance. No, this is this is, and it's it's quite it's quite the revolution. And you know, just to give everybody a picture of why we're saying, oh, it's so fast, right? Everything happens so fast. It's because post the the world recession in in two thousand eight, you know, there was a lot of distrust in financial markets. Um, around the world, people were thinking of, you know, do I still trust the bank to keep my money and all that stuff, right? I mean, if you were around during that time, you would have remembered like 
you being hesitant to put your money in the bank or you being hesitant to put your money in the markets more uh, more accurately, right? So in India, it was a complete opposite. When I was doing this research, I was shocked. I was like, dude, that was the time uh, the recession just happened. Like, how the hell are they doing this? There was a committee formed called NPCI. I think this was from Reserve Bank of India itself, actually. They formed like this little committee to yeah, um, yeah. decrease friction with uh, payment mechanisms, basically, right? To integrate all payment mechanisms. Um, I think the goal was for financial inclusion, which a lot of countries, central banks would love, right? Financial inclusion. Um, and IMF talks about this, World Bank talks about this initiative all across the developed world to try try and get countries uh, to start including the lower income populations in uh, banking, right? Just to be in, in the financial market. So it, it was a huge thing for them, um, putting this together, putting that initiative together. There was a lot of stats that came out during this time about people using so much cash, which I think for us, it's pretty obvious. We come from these countries. We know what cash-heavy economy looks like. We know the hassle of actually transacting. Yeah, with a tone note. Actually, yeah, dude. The you end up with a tone note and you're shit. like, oh man, how do, I, how, do I, how do I get the next guy to take this? And you're playing games. You're trying to use dude, the it's, most uh, it's trust. up, especially if you accidentally cut it. Yeah. <laughs> you're trying to use the most Jesus, transparent uh, tape to make sure someone takes it and you try to hide it. You know, yeah, I've done it. Games. I've done it. Jesus Christ. Bro. <laughs> All of us I've have. Done it. This, is, this is the kind of stuff you know. <laughs> An entire country coming up with a plan for financial inclusion with integration in mind. A lot of pieces need to fall in place for this to come about. In the Philippines, I'll tell you what, in the Philippines... It's hard to know how much our entire population is. If you look at Wikipedia right now, it's like 100 million, right? But it's hard really to know how many people actually live in the Philippines because a lot of people aren't registered, okay? Yeah. Another yeah, thing, yeah. dude, that shocked That's me as well. That's one of the biggest things, too, um, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the biggest things because it's always mentioned, even if you're talking about financial inclusion, this conversation has to come up because it's the know your customer game, right? Um, I don't know how you say this, all right? When I read it, it's... Adhar, okay, <laughs> that's what I read it as. Um, but <laughs> you're, you're bro, such... did I mess it up? Yeah. <laughs> it's a white uh, guy thing. So in India, in any of the languages, there are very few words with a hard D. So it's always DH. So Adar, Adar, okay, Adar, yeah, okay, and I think it means uh, foundation or something like that. Um, Adar, it's uh, dude. Some, so we're going to get some comments being like, how dare you not know what Aadhaar is? And I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not Indian. What the hell? No, I am. But still, it's like. Oh, shit. Even yeah. I, sh no, I we'll should just know, cut it out. I'm pretty, I'm out, pretty sure. I'm pretty sure <laughs> if you ask, if I ask all of my friends and ask them, okay, what does Aadhaar mean? And they will also not know. So I think I'm good. I think I'm yeah. good for a bit. <laughs> You mentioned something, right? People are not registered. That many people, you just had so many different documents. You didn't have one identification system. Like over here in the US, you have social security number, right? You have one SSN. Getting digital identification was the first step in this whole process. And the Aadhaar card was that, where now billions of Indians are registered, right? It's one system. So now to vote, to to um, make payments for every single transaction that you do, you can use your other. Basically, your other backs your financial credibility, just like your SSN. That is insane. 
um, that first step of getting everybody on actually paves the way then for this whole conversation of, of UPI, right? So I guess that's why it's been such a, a unique transformation because this paired with the innovation of UPI made it possible. It's crazy stat that I saw about how many people had to sign up to Adar. We're talking billions of people, okay, signed up on this, uh, on this system of identification, I mean, 90% of the Indian population, that's a feat in itself, okay? So we should have a whole yeah, separate yeah. conversation about um, identification here because... Dude, the scale is ridiculous. Scale is ridiculous. It's crazy. I mean, this is a model that can be replicated in countries like the Philippines. Very tiny country, by the way, but 100 million people in that those small, tiny-ass yeah. islands? I mean, that's a lot yeah. of people, right? And we don't have a signifying way to, you know, do the same thing. Yes, we have SSNs, but would you believe it? I spent 18 years of my life there and never even knew it existed. So, you know, I didn't know I had a social security number in the mm. Philippines. So Fascinating how opening the Aadhaar, getting a billion people on there, and then now using that as a foundation. You get it? That's why it is foundation. And yes, I did Google search this, and Aadhaar is foundation. So, yeah. <laughs> Once you have that digital identity established. Now, your access to bank accounts widens. And what the authorities did, government was like, you know what, we can't just have these isolated companies just doing their own thing. Like, you know, maybe just an Apple Pay and just a Google Pay. Like, let's have a system where everyone can transact with everyone, right? So that was a new layer that was added. And that's the UPI, the Unified payments interface. So now banks could exchange messages, uh, payment, financial transactions with non-bank firms, right? So the, the crucial feature here, which was built on top of the Aadhaar, which is the digital identity, now allowed um, everyone to transact with everyone else, right? So users could transact with, you know, small players, big players, public, private companies, everyone. I just mentioned very early on the call that I was in the middle of nowhere in Kerala, which is a southern state. And, um, you know, this is, I was transacting, I was paying 10 rupees for a coconut. By the way, super tasty coconuts. What the hell is Vita Coco? Uh, don't get me started on the, <laughs> the, the, the taste of bottled coconut water in the US. But so I was drinking that and I was like, okay, this is, this is life. And then um, I was like, you know, ready to take out some cash, loose change. And he's like, no, 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 you have a mo mobile phone, just scan the QR code. I scanned it and he got the money instantly in his bank account and gave me a thumbs up. And I was like, yeah, this is it. Like that took less than five seconds. Mind boggling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 2019, there was something also significant that happened um, yep, yep. to increase the adoption more of, of UPI. And it's I wanted to talk about it because I don't want to miss uh, the reason for this becoming so virally successful during, during COVID. Um, because right before COVID, the government came up with another way to incentivize people to come in this, um, come into the system, in this ecosystem, uh, which is removing a rate that was applied into the transactions that happened on this network of UPI, right? Um, it's called, I think it's called MDR, right? Like a merchant 
discount rate. So if you if you think about it this way, if somebody wants uh, to have customers that transact in a Visa or a MasterCard, they pay a merchant fee, you know? So it's expensive yeah, for them yeah. to use, let's just say $10 is your transaction and let's say you have a 3% merchant fee. $3 of that transaction has to go to Visa or MasterCard um, because they're making it easy for you to transact. Yeah, they own the rails. They own that network. It's it's a huge thing, and typically it's passed on to the merchants, right? It's not you, you may not notice it as a consumer. You, you don't notice it when you transact in Visa or Mastercard. You won't notice that. The merchants, the guys who own the the small businesses and whatnot, they have to make that decision. That's why you go to some places that they don't accept Amex, they don't accept Mastercard because they got to pay those fees, right? Why would it make sense for them to pay those fees if they could transact with you another way? So this is another reason why UPI was so uh, revolutionary, right? It still applies um, in the ecosystem of UPI. But in 2019, that significant thing I was talking about earlier is they got rid of this merchant discount rate that the small businesses would have to pay to be able to transact on the UPI. So essentially making that transaction cost to you, to, to the small business owner, if you're a small business owner in India, in 2019, they removed your fees. Right. So even more incentive to say, let me get on that network because I don't have to pay any transaction fees. So it's going to be zero cost for me to use this service. So truly, the government is subsidizing cost of transacting on the network. And I think the government also uh, gave some taxpayer money to these banks to compensate for that revenue loss for performing these transactions and these companies as well that are on the network, you know, who were supposed to be charging the merchants these fees to make their money. Because how would they make money if they don't have this fee, right? You think about Visa and MasterCard, if they charge 0%, how the hell will they make money, right? Um, but yeah, this is something I wanted to bring up because what's interesting is if you remove the ability to make money out of transaction fees, which is the primary way this company would make money, these companies have to get creative about how they make money. And, you know, that's not something we're going to go deep into in this episode, but just wanted to point out if they can't make money out of transactions, they're going to find out some other way. And a lot of the research that at least me and Shikar have read, you know, uh, for this episode is suggesting that another way for them to make money is also using that data that is provided to them, right? Or selling that data, which is not yeah, illegal is yet. It's not illegal yet, but, you know, it's one of those things that, it can. It's the most obvious way for them to make money if this zero percent MDR doesn't change for them, um, and so that's another concern that people may have uh, as they adopt this more. But at the expense of financial inclusion, I mean that again. This feat is so crazy that I believe it can be a model that can be shared with other countries trying to achieve the same amount of, of financial inclusion. But it yeah. does come as a double-edged sword. Yeah, and to just give a sense of scale, right? 90% of financial transactions in India is just small business owners, like everything, like from a tea shop to a cigarette shop to a snacks shop <laughs> to a to a dry fruit shop to a coconut selling vendor. Everything is small business. So this, taking out the fees was a huge unlock because suddenly all these smaller merchants signed up along with their customers. Now, we got to see how 
what the plan is because you know the banks are actually complaining because yeah they are they, they are <laughs> yeah they can't make money out of the rails that they are working to build right yeah if if uh, UPI was a startup it would obviously it would be a unicorn <laughs> and uh, it would be one of the faster growing startups I would say if UPI was a startup no but you know we have a lot of other companies that are um, using these so-called rails that Shikhar is talking about to build a customer base to give access to everybody who wants to do transactions. It's kind of crazy. Like, I didn't know this, but something interesting that, that we learned while doing this research is we looked at the apps that are sitting on UPI, we're using UPI basically, um, and we looked at their market share, like what what kind of transactions are happening on there? How much, who's doing the most transactions um, on these networks? And it's these startups, you know, phone pay. So this app that's sitting on the UPI is about like 50% of the transactions happening on, on the UPI space at the moment. Um, and there are a bunch of other companies like Google Pay and, and Paytm, like we mentioned earlier, who are getting adopted really fast across, you know, India. Millions of people are on this network now, and a lot of apps are finding ways to, to innovate. The government is even trying to control that. They're trying to control market share of above 30% on the network to make sure that, look, nobody has, you know, one monopoly over the transactions that happened in the UPI. Because right now, the government-supported app, the RPI-supported app is like coming at fourth or fifth place or something um, on all these other the these other apps that are on on the the rails right so it's interesting they're they're controlling even for that for like amount of market share um, that you take on transaction base in in the UPI network so it's interesting because PhonePay is actually owned by uh, Flipkart Flipkart which is owned by Walmart. <laughs> Dude, that's ridiculous, man. Like, yeah, it, there's already talks of them expanding this to the Arab countries and Southeast Asian countries. Crazy, so dude. I think that's wow. that's just <laughs> the next step, you know, where they just ta- get the foreign rails, the international rails that is Visa, Mastercard onto this platform. I think that's just the natural next step, and the way they're moving, it's it's like that's going to be another success story on top of this. I just wanted to point point out Walmart buying Flipkart for sixteen billion dollars. You know, it just uh, it seems like it seemed like such a big deal back then. Sixteen billion dollars is nothing when you can have access to how many Flipkart users and how many phone pay users. Like it's it's crazy. What a move, dude! They're probably bleeding money because of you know phone pay is bleeding money, Flipkart's bleeding money, but if yeah. they figure out the way to monetize that and they have a golden nugget but we got to see how they can monetize right that's the biggest question here yeah um you know so th- the story of digital payments in in india i think is as as we can see it for now is a success story the goal um of financial inclusion was actually achieved i mean <laughs> immense growth and in such a short time i mean kudos right um, so far, it's been so successful that Google had sent a note apparently to our Federal Reserve, the U.S. Federal Reserve, to say that, hey, we should do something like what RBI, uh, the Reserve Bank of India, is doing to integrate payments in a similar way in the U.S. And 
their response was uh, FedNow. I don't know if you heard of this program, FedNow, um, that's going to be apparently launching in 2023. But it's a very similar system in which there will be integrated payments into um, this rate, these rails that they plan on on building. Right? We'll see. We'll see how that goes as well. I think that's probably one of the next stories we'll cover as well at THC as it gets released. Um, something super interesting if that were to happen um, in the U.S. But looking at India as a model. I think the possibilities are are quite endless. I mean, we have only a fraction of the population that India has, but obviously a really, really complex financial market. So that that piece will be a very interesting thing um, to watch, you know. And as we were talking about um, a lot of the things that, that, that had happened in India, the drastic changes that had to happen for this to become successful, um, you know, it'll continue to happen in the next few years that there will be drastic changes to fit this model into their financial markets, right? So that'll be also something to watch what they're going to do with policy, what they're going to do with with market share um, when it comes to the, the payments networks. Any, um, any innovations on top of UPI? Because as we've seen before, everything has been a step to get to another step, right? They build something and then they're going to build something on top of it to make it a lot easier. Um, and who knows, there may be more systems placed on top of UPI to make transacting even easier there. And then another thing to watch is their spread uh, across the world, right? We just talked about Southeast Asia and how other countries are maybe potentially interested in using a similar type of model um, and be able to integrate with, with UPI as well. So I don't know, for me, dude, it's been really fun to, to dive into this, like my personal experience in India to doing this research. Um, to finding out this new model of financial inclusion that was kind of, you know, quite big. So um, I've been really excited about it. Hopefully you guys have learned a couple of things too, um, learned a couple of things about the Indian economy and the way it's it's been working from now on. But um, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll have you in our next conversations and until then, stay curious.